everybody. We are in this series, When God is Like, and today we are talking about when God is like a sibling that you love. Now that end qualifier might really matter for some of us. This is not just some random sibling. This is a sibling that you are glad is your sibling. This is a sibling that you love. We're getting into people's families today and in a couple weeks, and that can be a bit messy, right? And we're doing this uh, today, and by making this statement and reflecting on God as our sibling, uh, most of us will instantly start to search our own lives, right? Like when I said God is like a sibling that you love, you probably all thought of your sibling, if you have one, and, and if that was true or not, and siblings are not making eye contact with each other right now because they don't want, don't want to say what they feel about each other. But instantly we start to go to our own experience. Do we have one that we love? Have we always wanted a sibling that we would love? Do we have one that we would trade for a new one on the chance that that one we would love? Like, do, what is our relationship to, to siblings and all of that? And as we talk more and more about being God's beloved people, the family that we grew up with is really important, whatever that looks like. It's real important that we reflect on what we come from. For some of us, it, it was a stable situation where they showed us that we were beloved, and so then when we come to texts where God says we are the beloved, it's, we can imagine it because we've already felt that kind of love. We've already felt love from a sibling, so we could imagine God loving us like a sibling. For some of us, that's not what we grew up with. We grew up with... Uh, different kinds of needs and, and adults and siblings who maybe needed to use us or, or didn't have the capacity to love in the way that we wish, and so it requires some imagination, right? It requires some creativity for us to go beyond our own experience, beyond our own story, to imagine that God might love like that idealized sibling. And then for most of us, it's a bit of a mixed bag. We've got great memories that we hold tightly that sometimes overshadow those other ones. Or those other ones sometimes overshadow those great ones. And it's just kind of messy. And, and so this week we're going to talk about siblings on Father's Day. We're going to talk about when, when God is like the father that we need. And both of those, I'm just giving you fair warning. It kicks stuff up in us. It's okay. Uh, hang with it. Today we are specifically talking about siblings, but this passage looks at the family as a whole, the passage that Joshua just read. I want to read it again for us and, and invite you to really picture it the best that you can, okay? The best we can. We're going to look at it a couple times today, but best you can imagine what this would have looked like. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my mother, my brother, my sister, and mother. Now, in this passage, we see that Jesus' mom and brothers are outside Right? They're outside of wherever he's gathered with the disciples. They're in the room. Jesus' mother and brother are outside. If you look at the context of it, uh, people were getting a little frustrated with Jesus at this point. People were getting a little upset by some of the things that he was saying. 
there was some chaos following his ministry. There were some, some people who were experiencing great healing and some other people who were feeling great jealousy or great anxiety about what Jesus was doing, that they were going to lose their power, position. They were misunderstanding him. All of He was causing a ruckus without really causing a ruckus. You notice that about Jesus? Like, he seems pretty relaxed, but man, people have reactions to him. And there's a whole lot of reactions happening at this point. And so I imagine, and people before us have imagined that Jesus' mother and brothers show up to, like, calm him down a little bit, to kind of put him in his face. Like, call Jesus out. We, we want to talk to him for a minute. And these disciples are young, right? So he's in the room with the disciples, and somebody says, hey, Jesus, your mom wants to talk to you outside. Like, that'd be like, ooh. At least, like, with me and my friends when we were young, if your mom wanted to call you outside to talk to you, that means you did something, Right? There's, there's trouble brewing here, but but Jesus says, ah, no, I'm not, I'm not going out there. Like, th- this is this defiance that was not allowed in my household. Like, no, my, my mom wants me outside, but I'm going to say, no, who is my brother and my, my mother? Now, this particular verse has been taken by some churches and, and caused a bunch of damage, right? This one has been taken out of context and said, well, you need to just get rid of relationships to your family and only relate to people in this building because these are the only safe people, these are the only good people, and so sever all the relationships that you have, stay apart, just be us. It's, it's been used by cults, it's been used by just damaging limited preaching and thinking, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Now, there are situations when you're facing abuse or severe trauma or, or you need to heal and you're not in an environment where you can, where you need space and you need distance. There are situations like that, right? But he is not making a general declarative statement that everybody needs to abandon the family that they grew up in and just relate to the people that they're worshiping with on Sunday. That's not at all what's being said here. In fact... If you look at Jesus' life, his life was quite the opposite. His mother and brothers are trying to slow him down right here, at least get an explanation for what he's doing, and he does some work to to stay really connected to them. I know some people love those those videos on YouTube of like an adult son in particular who loves his mom. Uh, I'll make a confession here. We watched American Idol this, this year. And, and there was a guy who, at the end of his song, was so excited, he just yelled, I love you, Mom. <laughs> and he was a grown man. And, and, and then the judges were like, you can't do that if you want to be a rock star. And then that just became what he did. I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. And we love it when people love their, their mom. Like, it's, it's moving, right? Nothing is more moving than the fact that when Jesus is on the cross, he sees his mom. I mean, think on that. He sees his mom, and he says, hey, dear friend of mine, this is now your mom. Take care of her like she's your mom. And mom, you're going to miss me. He's now your son. You guys take care. Like, the way that he cared about people constantly is inspiring, is challenging, is beautiful. He loved his mom. His brother became one of the leaders in the early church. And and so this family, he, he stayed connected with them. He 
He learned how to distant and do the will of God and at the same time care for the people who were in his circle, right? Okay, but here is the hard part of this particular passage. He does value the will of God above the immediate family. Now, it doesn't mean that they are necessarily always in conflict. We are to care for our family. We are to do that. But at times in our culture, sometimes we make an an idol of our family. Sometimes the reason that we are not willing to connect with God's family or or the kingdom of God is because we have our family. And this is a difficult thing. Because it doesn't mean you don't care for your family, but we do that within the will of God, that we do all of this committed to God, knowing that it's for the betterment of our family too. But this is, we, I think it will serve us well if we are just running a check in us. I'm like, hey God, like, am I loving my family wholeheartedly or am I idolizing my family? Those are very different things. Am I letting my daughter be my daughter, or is she in some way like a God to me where uh, what she thinks, feels, how she's handling life matters way more than it should? This is worth us going through, but that's not the point of, of today. The point of today is that Jesus says that a brother, his brother, sister's mother, or anyone who does the will of God. Now, volumes and volumes have been written about the will of God, right? And how do we determine the will of God? And how do we know that we're within it? And tons of panic and counseling sessions have happened because we're afraid we're outside of it. And tons of silly things have been done because we say that that is the will of God. And so it's this vast, big thing that we are not going to solve today. Instead, we're going to talk about how this is used in this passage. We're not talking about the concept of the will of God or discovering the will of God. Let's just look at how Jesus says this. When you read these verses, it says that the disciples are gathered and others are listening really close. And Jesus says to all of those who are with, the will of those who do the will of God are my brothers, my sisters, and my mother. Now imagine hearing this. These disciples... Many of them have left their families, right? Many of them had left their careers. I don't know how good their businesses were, but they left them. I, I don't know what the life was like that they left, but they left it. They left security. They left hope. They began t- following this teacher because they believed this radical message of love and abundance that was so other than what they knew before. And this teacher... He sees that they are searching for the will of God. That's why they left, right? They left because they wanted to do the will of God. They wanted to know the will of God. And this teacher sees that, that they're devoting their entire life to knowing this, to being all in in every way. And this teacher calls them his brothers, his sisters, and his mother. These are strong words. The word brother or sister kicks up different things in all of us. But for me, they're really fond words. I'm, I'm the middle kid of two of my favorite people in the world. When we were young, most days we liked each other. Uh, now that we're adults, every day we like each other. My older sibling is my sister named Heather. Heather is the reason that I became a Christian. 
She loved Jesus and pursued Jesus in a way that I wanted to experience what she was experiencing. And as I followed her, then I began to experience what she had experienced. I found hope. I found life. She's one of the most sacrificial people that I know in the entire world. When I think of all-out abandon that we can love people with, I think of my sister. She's also a great person to hang out with. I get to see her next Monday for like a whole week, and I'm so excited she'll be here on, on Father's Day worshiping with us. She'll be at the grad party. I can't wait to be with her because she's awesome. My younger si- sibling is my brother called Brian. Brian's dear to me as well. I wasn't always nice to him as a kid. He's got some stories. I've apologized probably every third time that I've seen him, and he told me, Matt, it's time to get past it. Like, we're grown. You weren't that mean. And I keep remembering it different. But it's not just that. Brian has this ability to always make space. He always has space for me in his life. He's incredibly brilliant, incredibly talented, and I'm super proud of him. But he's one of the most consistently caring people in my world. Always checking up on me. He's curious about how I'm experiencing life. He's hilarious, but he's hilarious in this kind of way that only some people get to experience it. He's like a super introvert, and so he saves all his funny for people who really value it, and then he just unloads it on whoever's in front of him. I'm beyond grateful that Brian is my brother. But the point isn't to gush on my siblings. The point is to point out what happens within me when I'm around them. See, on my own, I'm prone to get lost in my thoughts. I can interact with books more than humans pretty, pretty well. I'm really good at that. I can get caught up in the past or get caught up in the future. But when they're around, I am instantly present. I don't know anywhere else to be. My belly hurts from laughing. I can't stop smiling. Something happens within me. I am more me when I'm with my siblings. You know what I mean by that? You know those people where you are more you when you're with them? That's what happens when I'm with my brother and my sister. I barely have memories that they aren't a part of. I've lived, like, there up in Minnesota. I've been down here for, like, 13 years now. But still, it's when I was injured playing basketball. They were there. We comforted each other when we lost our dad. They believed in me all along. They've cheered for us. Even when we moved away, even when that hurt them in some real ways, made their life harder, they've been cheering for us. They've loved me. They've loved our family. They see Nikki as their sister and Anna as their daughter and Durant as their son. They love us because we're family. Now, we don't all have that experience that I have, right? And I almost don't want to say it because I know we don't all have it. But I think that's part of the reason that God uses family language for the church as well. Because if we don't know that in our family growing up, we're supposed to begin to experience that with each other. We're supposed to have some of that feeling with one another. We have this, this church, I, I, and I mean the, the big church, not just us, right? We have this fellowship of sisters and brothers around the entire world of all time. And within that, we're to experience this sibling relationship in real healing ways. What Heather and Brian do for me reminds me of what Jesus has done for me what Jesus did for the disciples. See, if you're like me, you, you know yourself. You know that you sin. 
You know that your thoughts race where they shouldn't. You know that you fail commitments that you're making to yourself, to God, to others. We often begin to believe that this is who we are. And we can feel unworthy, or worse yet, we can feel worthless. That's a really dangerous place to be. Jacques Philippe says this beautiful quote where he says, We urgently need the mediation of another's eyes to love ourselves and accept ourselves. My siblings are those eyes for me. I'm the one they believe in and that they love. Many of you have been those eyes for me at times. I hope I've been those eyes for you at times that remind you of who you are. We're to be that for one another. Yet it's not just loving one another until we can love ourselves. It's, it's because Jesus did this first. I mean, think of these disciples, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. They were, they were fisher boys, right? I mean, that'd be Anna's dream life. They just went and fished all day, every day. And then Jesus looked at them, and he saw something more. Matthew was a hated tax collector. People felt that he had sold them out, that he had traded his people for money. And then Jesus offered him community and belonging. The other Simon was a zealot. He was so sure he was right that he was violent about it, or willing to be violent. He took the law into his own hands, and Jesus saw compassion, and one that, that he could show this Simon another way. James and John fought over who was the greatest, and Jesus just drew them both closer to him. Over and again, Jesus believed in those that he called his brothers, his sisters, his mother. Now, they didn't flawlessly pursue the will of God. When Jesus prayed in the garden, blood was sweating out. He prayed in line with God's will, right? That's what he said. Like, I'll tell you my will, but not my will yours be done. And God's will was, and it led to the cross. And that led to everybody scattering all over the place. And they ran from the crucifixion. And yet afterwards, he told Mary to go and tell his brothers that he was risen. They didn't come and reconcile first and make it all back up. It is when they were fleeing, when they were running, that he said, hey, those are my brothers, and tell them the resurrection's real. Tell them I'm alive, I'm here. See, when we realize our unworthiness, our flaw, when we attempt to cover it up, we need another's eyes to change our perspective. And we need that person to have the authority to do so. There's the verse that I love that I've probably preached 70 times to you, but 1 John 3, 1 says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. If there's a verse that we could believe, this is the one I think I'd pick. This is the truest thing about you. Because God said so. You're a child of God. You're a brother, you're a sister to Jesus. Barry and Connolly, these two authors I was reading, said, I am a creature whether I know it or not, and God is my creator. God knows me as a son or a daughter, even when I do not know God as father. Jesus knows me as his brother or sister. 
even when I am unaware of this bond. However, anyone who does not know his or her father, mother, brothers, or sisters suffers from a lack that will probably show itself in some way in his or her consciousness. I think we have this sometimes, guys. Like when we forget that Jesus is our our brother, that we're children of God, not because we earned it, not because we're worthy, but because God said so. When we forget that, we, we, we lose our bearings. When our identity is up for grabs, we, we, we lose our way a bit. And I know I'm spoiled with the brother and sister that I have. And again, that leaves me tempted to not talk about it at all. But I also find that I'm spoiled to have this as my church community. Because when I go hang out with other pastors, they all don't necessarily feel loved by their church. They don't all necessarily like the people they hang out with. And I never have real impressive stories of our numbers or anything, but I could say, like, no, we, we hang out pretty well together. These are my friends. These are my siblings. This is what it's like when God is like a sibling that we love. We're reminded of who we are. Jesus calls you sister. He calls you brother. And the question is, what does that do within you? What does that stir up? What is that loose, or what is that, where, where does it feel like you can't let that reality in? What is it that you're feeling? When I remember that Jesus sees me this way, I want nothing more to join him in the, in the family business, in the Father's business. I just want to do what Jesus is about, because well, he, that's how he sees me. His eyes are on me, and that's what he reminds me of. I want to know what God's desire for me, for us what God's will is. I want to trust that whatever is happening, God is good, and Jesus is looking out. I desire to surrender more of everything because I'm convinced that God's faithful. And all my failures, that's not what God's thinking about. The impact of it, I, I feel, but, but also it's taken care of. Jesus took care of all that. That's what we celebrate every week when we gather, right? That's what this communion is about. We're going to receive this in a moment. If you don't have a cup, um, Rodenbaugh's going to grab him, so go ahead and raise your hand. But that's what we celebrate here. Is that all the ways that we should be disqualified from being a child of God, all the ways we should be disqualified from being a, a sister or a brother of Jesus, They're all taken care of. All of them. And we might still experience the ramifications of it. We might still be be dealing with some of it, but the ways that that count us out, they're taken care of. I am who the Father sees me as. You are who the Father sees you as. But it's very different. It's different to know that from today going forward, you are who your brother believes you are. Jesus calls you sister, brother, 
and believed you to be just that. And every moment that you go to doubt that, he invites you to remember that his body was broken. To do all that needed to be done and undone and all those kind of things so that you could know that your seat at the family table is secure. And when you're not seated there, it's left open, waiting. Because he is the brother that you always wanted, that you always needed. And so we gather to remind each other and to be reminded by the taking of the bread. And he took the cup. And we're reminded every time we gather that, that we get to remember who we are because Jesus' blood was poured out for us. As his blood was shed, so was all the guilt, so was all our shame, so was all everything that disqualified us. And now because he says so, you're a sister, you're a brother. And so in remembrance, we take this. would let's pray together Jesus thank you for this morning thank you that you're faithful that you're good thank you that you love us well thank you that you see us even when we can't see ourselves for those of us who had siblings like I help us to Take those memories that we had and imagine them even greater with you as our sibling. For those of us who don't have that experience, give us creativity, give us imagination. Grant us healing and mending. As we know, now know you as our brother, those moments that we're scared or feel alone, that we might feel you near. Those moments we feel ashamed or unworthy, that we might feel your eyes on us, reminding us who we are because of you. As we interact with one another and others throughout our week, help us to treat everyone not as strangers, but as your sisters and as your brothers. Thanks. In your name. Amen. Well, thanks for being here and bearing with the heat all.